Hi there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage needed to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. everyone welcome back to the show my name is Mo Sibyl for those just joining us for the first time and today I am super honored to have this person on the show to share her wonderful story I met her on YouTube through Tuko Talk so shout out to um, Lynn Ngogi for doing such a wonderful job on her story so um, she was born in 1984 in Japan to a Buddhist family and growing up she had a lot of societal thoughts and had a difficult time because of being brought up in a broken home she started going to church after doing some soul searching, and then she accepted Jesus as her Lord and personal Savior about 16 years ago while she was in the university. From then on, she proceeded to study for her MA in a British university to become a humanitarian aid worker. She met her husband then, Nick, in church, and they got married in Kenya 11 years ago after working for an NGO in Japan for one year. Together, they launched the Hikari School of Music in 2012, with a vision to provide stable employment for young people and offer quality music education. They are a mom of two beautiful daughters, and they are very passionate about sharing the love of Christ. Hobbies include sewing and learning languages. Everyone, please join me in welcoming Yuka Itakura Wamshimba to the podcast. Hi! Hello, hello, hello. And really nice to have you back on the show. Back because this is our second time doing it. So hopefully we'll do, um, the network will be better this time around. We pray so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, can you tell us briefly just a little bit about your childhood? So in listening to your story, you had quite a childhood, being an only child and then coming from a home that was broken and all of the impact it had on you. But just tell us a little bit, you know, your childhood and the events that actually led to you finally meeting your husband, Nick. Okay, so um, as you said, I was born in Japan and it's uh, like a traditional Japanese family like you normally find them uh, following Shintoism and Buddhism. So we used to go to temples, we used to go to shrines and I didn't know true God um, when I was growing up and well uh it was it wasn't so easy because my father was violent and uh, he used to beat us he used to beat uh my mom and my siblings and me and uh he he used to like say things that you know torment me sometimes up to today that you know some some hurtful things like 
uh, I would say it's like psychological abuse. And also it wasn't easy to see, um, you know, my mom getting beatings all the time and, you know, being told very nasty things. So basically I grew up, I think, with a low self-esteem. Back then, like, of course, I didn't know anything about self-esteem, but um, I didn't have confidence because I was always told, like, um, you would amount to nothing, you would not, not achieve anything, things like that. And yeah. And then eventually, it came to a point, uh, I was contemplating on suicide because uh, so many things that had, had happened and I just couldn't see why I should continue living, living because, you know, I couldn't see any hope. All the marriages I saw around me was like broken and, you know, it was just, there's nothing to like offer me hope. But then uh, a friend introduced me to going to church and then church became like my second home. I was running away to go to church, uh, to run away from home, whatever was happening in the house. And so that's how I became Christian when I was in university. And then after that, you, um, after that, I went to the university in England because instead of, I, I came to a point to think, uh, instead of taking my life, um, why can't I use it for something, at least for some, um, people who are suffering and struggling and they don't have what I had, like clothes and education and housing. So, Instead of taking my life, why can't I just offer offer myself to um, help other people? So I went to a university in England to study uh, humanitarian aid, and then at the church, um, I met Nick, who is now my husband. Wow, what a what a life! And I made a mistake earlier saying you were the only child. So correction on that. She has siblings. Um, I can imagine that just switching from your religion of Shintoism and Buddhism, it caused a lot of maybe tension in your family. And you've not always been a Christian. So, and it takes a lot for a person to change their faith. Can you tell us, you know, um, what that journey has been so far, especially in light of how life was tough for you in the past and what your family, have they come to accept your new religion, even though it's not so new anymore? Um, it was not easy because you see like my father was you know this traditional person so he was like you know that's like bringing shame to my family to our family and now if you are christian you can participate in family gatherings and uh, you know to remember our ancestors and whatever whatever but um at that point i was like already at the point that you know uh what is this person telling me? Because now, like, if you look at the life he's leading, I don't want to end up like him. So at least I want to try for myself the, the way that I feel might be the right way. And then I'll see for myself because clearly, uh, what my father was doing, uh, was not working for me according to me. So I didn't want to be like that. So I just decided to, uh, get baptized anyway, whatever, regardless is what, of what he said. And, well, so far, um, 
My other siblings, I think they don't mind it, and my mom, uh, she doesn't it, but we haven't also been in speaking terms with also my mom, my dad, his father, like all this time. So I don't really know how they feel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine diffi- how difficult it was because it wasn't just a religion. Those, um, it's a way of life. It's the way you all, you know, interact. It's the way you do everything. So it's not just one aspect of your life. It's a whole life. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I would like to just balloon out a little bit the societal part because chances are people, some people that are listening to this probably, you know, have had those thoughts as well. And like you, I, I'm Christian and I know Jesus is, you know, is always the way. Uh, he doesn't promise us a life a life that doesn't have worry, but one thing he promises us that his grace is, is sufficient for us. So can you just do like a compare and contrast what your life was before and then what it is like now, especially after letting Jesus into your heart to provide support for those uh, that might be having suicidal ideations? You know, um, you know, it's very very hard when you're struggling with that suicidal thought because it's like. Uh, it's like you're always thinking about it and also you can't do it and like, how am I going to do it? What will happen to my family? And all that. So um, it's not easy for somebody to go through that. And I just want to encourage if anybody is having um, such uh, a thought, uh, I just want to encourage that, you know, it's, it's not even worth taking your life because... There are so many things that you haven't tried out and you already want to die with your own, you know, small world that you already know. But if back then, I hadn't even really stepped out of Japan. I hadn't met, uh, you know, different people from around the world. I hadn't tried so many things. I was just like 20 something and, and already wanted to die. So there's no point because there's so much more that the world has to offer. You can go out and meet people. You can go and see uh, like the children in Africa, how they live, and they have much, much less than uh, what I grew up with. But they are so happy, and and you you start if you if you just expose yourself to other things that the world has to offer, except uh, apart from what you already know. I think you get many inspirations, and uh, there's so much more than what you're just seeing now, and your problem might be like everything to you but actually it's so small um if you see it from <laughs> you know a bigger perspective and to me making uh the decision to give my life to jesus was the best has been the best uh thing that i have done in my life because it has it has just turned my life around of course it didn't happen like at that instant but it has taught me to forgive it has taught me to uh, you know, accept other people the way they are. And it has taught me that, you know, my way is not the only way. And also, like, it has taught me to, you know, know that uh, nobody is perfect. Everybody is a sinner. And so that's why we all need Jesus. And, and it has also taught me that, you know, I am worthy. It's not like Buddhism or Shintoism where you have to face something or you have to go to the temple and do something, some sort of rituals to earn the forgiveness. But it has, you know, it's it's just a whole new uh, understanding that, you know, Jesus uh, can die for someone like me. And 
it just gives you a whole new perspective because you I didn't think that you know I have any value yeah so just give it a try and you see if uh, Jesus can change you or not because if you die without trying maybe you're missing out something so big wow thank you for that and just want to echo what you said about there's so much out there in the world yes whatever you might be going through it's it's a lot for you to want to you know kill yourself mm-hmm. it's a lot acknowledge that but there's also so much more and yes. so seek help you know um why we still talk about Jesus being the way there are other people you can also talk to as well i mean religion is a part of it our relationship with Christ is a part of it but if you need to be in therapy or be on medications please you know do what you need to do to get better but remember that there's so much and you need it here you need it here to be alive and we hope that you you make it through we're rooting for you mm-hmm. now um let's talk a little bit just about you know your husband Nick i i watched your story on Tuko Talks and i highly encourage people to go watch that cuz i'm not going to say or oh, everything again so i can give credit to Tuko but it's quite enough for people from developing countries to migrate to developed ones you know there's often that push and pull factors but the reverse is the case for you aside from your love from your then boyfriend turned husband was there any other convincing factor that has made you stay in Kenya because you've been there for quite a while um you see of course it was a big decision for us um whether he should come to Japan to live or I should come to Kenya to live um the biggest thing was that he uh, is 10 years older than me so at that time when we decided to get married i was just a uh, like a freshman from university i had just finished my masters and i was just beginning my career and uh, on the other hand he was like in his mid career he was already like in an established uh, position as a music teacher and you know he had built his reputation and all that so i felt like i couldn't uh, if he comes to japan I couldn't support him like comfortably like financially because I just learned the ropes at my work. Then also at the same time uh, in Japan if you don't Japanese it will be very hard for him to do what he wants to do you see but at least it was easy for me to come to Kenya and it's not like I can do any job of course it's uh, you know employment is so limited in Kenya and all that but it it would be easier for me to adjust to speak English in Kenya than him trying to now find his way around and you see I have to translate for him everything and I could just see that it's going to lead to a lot of fight and you know it might even uh, lead me to lose my respect for my husband and that would be a killer so um i just felt it would be easier that way for me to come to kenya and of course also because my family was in such a state and he had a good family background so in case of anything also there's a support system and i think it was the right choice to do make <laughs> so far Wow, it seems like from hearing you talk, I could, you know, pick out some things from your response in that you guys had a discussion about it. Like you knew what you kind of planned, even though maybe what you expected and the reality didn't match up, but at least you had a conversation about it, what it was going to be like. Someone had to sacrifice, you met yourself halfway, and then you communicated. And I think that's a lesson here for those that might be in this situation is 
be very upfront about just the challenges. Now there's some things that will come and it might be out of your control, but leave that room for grace and communication. And I can't imagine how difficult it was for you in the beginning to adjust to your new life. And um, but I'm glad that you know it's working for you because I I follow you guys now on YouTube and I know about your music school and you guys are doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that's really really working for you. So um, mm-hmm. I know when you talked about your um your journey so far, one of the things you spoke about was learning how to speak Swahili, which is super impressive, I must say. And there's this hypothesis in um I think it's language um. I want to say relativism, and I'm not very sure about that, but I need to check that out. It's uh, it's called the Sapai Wharf Hypothesis. And I see that you're Japanese, but sometimes when you talk, you sound like my Kenya friends, you know, like my Nika friends. Nika, <laughs> shout out to Nika and my other Kenya friends. It's the way you just sound like them. Even though I can look at you right now, you're Japanese. And so, and, and I, I, I know you know this, but for those that don't know this, I, I started learning Korean um, about four years ago. And there's a way I change when I speak Korean. I became, I become softer because my language is quite hard. I suppose I talk to my friends in my language, <laughs> but my Korean friends will come in. Were you guys fighting? I'm like, no, we're just having a conversation because yeah. we're so animated. When I speak Korean, I'm softer, I'm more feminine. But I'm, I'm, I'm just um, curious. <laughs> given, that, given that Japanese and Swahili, they're like totally different in you know, a conversation. I have scripts language learning and all that is so different right compared to like maybe english to like mm-hmm. learning french what helpful tips can you share on learning and what was important for you to learn your husband's you know heart language um i think for me to learn swahili uh was not so hard because i i just naturally have the the love for language and also, um, I was put in a situation to have to learn the language because it was like, uh, when I came to Kenya, I got a job with the, with the Japanese NGO. So I was doing a project in Kenya because, uh, I thought it's also not wise to, you know, just getting this married to this man. And, you know, I felt like I knew him, but I might not know him, you know, everything. Then like, it would be just, uh, asking for problem if I go like jobless, you know. So I found a job uh, in Japan, which could send me to Kenya. So in that project, I was dealing with the, the villagers who didn't speak much English. So it forced me to learn. And also, uh, I think it's, uh, it's been good because now like I can share it with my children. If I go to the supermarket and people start talking about me, like, oh, you see, look at this Chinese and all that and then I started speaking in Swahili and then like, they get shocked and all that and you see like you earn some sort of respect from them because now they know that I know uh, the language, I know the prices of you know how much everything should be in Kenya so um, for me just uh, being open minded you know don't think like oh I, I'm only going to speak English and Japanese, just learn small small that you can learn like water is magic you know, Tessa is money and just making the effort to try and understand also the other side of, you know, perspective and culture. Brilliant. Very brilliant, Masika. I like how you talked about it in a, you know, like, you know, understand, taking the cultural aspect of it, but also to make sure that you get by very well. You get the best end of the deal. And I guess another thing to highlight from your response is just how a lot of these things worked in your favor. Because you were moving from Japan to Kenya, which, you know, Kenya is still developing. 
you're able to play to your advantage to engage like NGOs that can sponsor your trip. So that's a tip for those that are moving from developed countries to developing countries. Now, the case might be a little bit different to like get, you know, people, to, everybody wants to go to like, you know, developed countries, but you play that, you know, to your advantage. So that's really, really good. Now, from watching your video with Yuka, I know your mom was really, really worried about you as every mom should be. You know, um, you grew up in Japan, went to the UK and then bam, you want to go somewhere in Africa. What? You know, and in your early days living in Kenya, uh, I'm just, before I even talk about just that. So I volunteer here with uh, an international organization. And in the past, they've had like this huge influx of Japanese and Kenya students. They come together, like they come for like exchange programs. And there's always been, in the beginning, there's always that tension between the Japanese and the Kenyans because of the issue of time. For uh, Japanese, if you're five minutes, if the train doesn't come five minutes before the time, it's already late. But for Kenyans, time is a different construct. It's not them being rude or being purposely late, but it's just a different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that your life was the adjustment you've had to make so far. But I'm curious to know, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you know that were challenging for you settling in Kenya? And how have you been able to navigate that? Because... These are really important issues because all your life you've been Japanese and then mm-hmm. you moved to Kenya, you know, way later in life. So please let us know how you navigated all of that. Well, I think the most important thing is to appreciate their culture and not think like because Japan is more developed, I am superior than them or like, you know, keeping time is better than African keeping African time. Uh, because each culture, I think, has uh, their own reason how they develop and it, uh, they have their own beauty in it. So it's not like I am from Japan, so like everybody must keep time, in, even in Kenya. <laughs> you know, if you're working with me, you must be five minutes before of everything. It's, it doesn't go like that. And you just have to adjust to their time, their way of thinking, and you just um appreciate their their perspective uh, because it's just not going to work you're not going to change the whole of Kenya according to your standards so um, the hardest time was when um my sister-in-law <laughs> visited us and then she said she was coming for lunch with her family so you see like I prepared from morning and the food was hot at lunchtime but then she said she's now on her way. And then like when she, I kept calling her, we kept calling her and like by 4 p.m. she was still on her way. And then they eventually arrived at 6 p.m. Yet they were supposed to come for lunch. And then, and then eventually she said, okay, we'll have uh, like a sleepover. So you see, I wasn't prepared because I was like ready for lunch. But now I have to prepare the beds for the, the family and I have to prepare now the, the breakfast also. And you see, I, I wanted to now like impress because now I'm, I'm the younger sister to them. And you see, like, uh, I married one of their brothers. And so like, I wanted to make a good impression with the, like, the hot meal freshly prepared. But now I had to microwave everything and all that. So like, that was the hardest, but. I laughed about it because now, even if you get annoyed, it doesn't make the situation better. So I just fix the mattresses, I fix the breakfast, and you see those things just, uh, I think, stretches you as a person to become better. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a very you know funny story, and you know I think you said it in a very wise way. Is you know see what you can do, and it's no use complaining or trying to like compare. There's no comparison. It's just different ways of life. And since you are living there, you know how they say if you're in Rome, you behave like the yeah. Romans. Um, so mm-hmm. well, you know that's <laughs> that's a very funny story. Um, so <laughs> you had said previously that your mom. I want to say, for the lack of a better word, disowned you for marrying Nick. And and I know looking at your video on Yuko talk, Tuko Talks, people, there were some comments on there, oh, her mom is racist, her mom is racist. And I'm like, no, I don't think her mom is racist. She was really worried about her daughter, like a good mom should be. Mm-hmm. And now that you're a mother, can you relate to the reason for your mom's disapproval of your choice of a spouse then? Because, I mean, from what I've as I was watching the video from Tupo Talks, I could tell that your husband and your mom right now, they have a better relationship. But then she was, you know, quite worried. Now, as a mom yourself, can you relate to the reasons for, you know, your mother's disapproval of your choice of spouse? Uh, yeah, because uh, as I was explaining, you see, for her, she wasn't as exposed as I was. She had only graduated high school. And you see, her marriage was like very miserable so already she had already uh, mistrust in the marriage itself now what about marrying an african <laughs> you see and she because of her also education background um she only knew africa as shown on tv which i think is like his problem they only show the poorest of poor and they don't show the, the good sides of africa how we have a beautiful nature we have the beautiful ocean we have the richest some of the world's richest people in, you know, Kenya, Nigeria, some of the wisest, uh, smartest people also. But they don't show that. They just show like people live on the tree house or something and they wash in the river or things like that. So that's what she thought I was going to do. But um, I, 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 I relate to that, um, that how she felt because I now understand how it was like. At that time, because I was very young and I was so much in love with Nick, I just felt like resentment, how she's not, you know, letting me what she want, what I wanted to do. But now I feel that it came out of love and concern. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. I think it came out of love. Because even if it, I watched some wedding clips on you know, YouTube, your mom danced a lot, she was dressed, you know, and she looked very happy. And I can imagine that with, you know, having grandkids, usually they say grandkids sometimes are like the glue between, you know, parents mm-hmm. and their, you know, um, their in-laws. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's always nice to hear that, um, the rough parts have been smooth, you know, smoothing out. Now, um, with your choice of a life partner being non-Japanese, because I imagine that from what I know about Korean culture, which is kind of similar to Japanese culture, isn't that, you like to maintain the family lines in a way. You, may, you want to make it as homogeneous as possible. So foreigners are not really, even though things are getting better, but historically, Japanese should marry, you know, Japanese. Now, with your choice yeah. of a life partner and, and also changing your religion and I would say way of life, what's your current state of your relationship with your family, especially your grand, your kids with, you know, your parents? Uh, okay, as I said, there's so much that have happened since our wedding. And now I don't talk to my parents anymore, sadly, like both of my parents. But it's not just because of marrying in Kenya. Uh, it's just 
all about so many things, so many other things in the family and uh, their own baggage, I would say. And so I have decided that it's it's best for my children to also keep a distance from all the turmoil because you know it's not stable. <laughs> so like I would get so much affected by how the things are in Japan, and then I take it out on them. So I just decided to keep some distance so that I can focus on my current family and protect it. So that's where we are now. But I am praying and I have a belief. I have faith in God that, you know, he's still working on it. This is not the end of the story. And we are we are going to see how it turns out to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting... Um, married in kenya for me it really worked out because when i was i dated some japanese boyfriend before but it was just so much trouble because you just assume so many so many things are in common just because you're both japanese but you grow up in different family different area of japan some i grew up in city my boyfriend had grown up in like a, a rural community so then like the way of thinking is already very different how uh, a woman should behave in the house is also also different, you know, depending on the area you grew up with. in. And so uh, it didn't work out because, like, in, in Japan, if you am with the Japanese person, you expect expect a lot of them to, you know, know certain things, you know, how things are done or like, you know. But if I'm marrying a Kenyan person, you already know that you have to talk about everything. And so that really helps me because I think any marriage is like marrying a foreigner. Even if I'm, I'm marrying to a Japanese person, you know, there's so many things that you don't have in common just because you're Japanese. It doesn't mean anything. And so um, it really helps me to, to, to accept the way he is. And I think it does it, it actually reduce the fight <laughs> for, my, for my case, yeah. Oh, wow. I think you've given us a secret to a very good and happy marriage is that don't assume everything about your spouse, even if they are from your culture. Treat them like you're marrying a foreigner because you really are marrying a foreigner. Even if you grew up in the, on the same street, they have different ways of doing things. And then yeah. we have to learn yourselves better. Oh my gosh, Yuka, that's, that's super smart. Super, super smart. Thanks for those wise words. Now let's talk about your beautiful, your beautiful girls. Um, I, I think biculturalism is one of the many ways to reconcile culture in a homogeneous mm-hmm. way. Now, not everybody can go marry, you know, someone from another culture. But let's talk about your own story. Given that your kids are both, you know, Japanese and Kenyans, how are you helping them express and navigate this? And, and, and how do you even share your Japanese roots with your children? And what tips do you have for parents who might have like similar dynamics? Um, I always tell them that you're half Japanese and you're half Kenyan, and so uh, you can be, you can work or study in Japan if you want in the future, or you can stay in Kenya. So you have all the choices. You can do anything you want, and I try not to make them any like less compared to other people who are like you know, and. Thankfully, we also have an international community where we live. I think it's more international than if we had lived in Japan because we have Indians, we have Americans, we have uh, many missionaries who come from abroad, and we have so we have many mixed kids. So I don't think we they really feel like you know they're different or anything. 
So in that sense, I think it's better for them to live here than in Japan, which is more like homogeneous community. They do say something like, how did you make your hair so straight? I also wanted a straight hair like yours. And then I'm like, but why don't you like your curly hair? Then they're like, but it gets tangly. It's so painful and your hair is nicer and things like that. So I try not to also deny, you know, like, how you shouldn't feel like that because that's how they feel. So I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, if you want, there's also an option to straighten your hair. Next time we go to Japan, I'll take you to a salon and then you can straighten your hair. It's up to you so that, uh, you know, I don't also deny that you shouldn't feel like that. You should accept yourself like that. Uh, yeah, but I'm still a new mom. <laughs> My kids are not yet like teens or anything. So, um, I'm still learning. At- at the same time i mean thank you for that i i like how you said you know affirming them and you know sitting with them in that place of i guess questioning their identity because you're both exploring mm-hmm. these issues and i imagine that you growing up and having to navigate the self-image issue you had as a child the lessons you've learned from there you're, you it will better prepare you in your new role now as a mom and I'm sure they'll be well adjusted, given they are willing to learn. And I really, really love how you said, you know what, I'm going to affirm them and have them understand that I can hear you, I see you, and you're, you're beautiful. So that's 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 a very good lesson to learn. Now, if your kids ever listen to this episode someday, what message would you like to let them know using this time capsule right here as a podcast? If you want to leave a message to your kids. Um, I would say that I... Uh, I love them so much and you know they are their existence really changed my life and I know that I'm not uh, the best mom in the world or anything but I try my best the way imperfect it is but I try my best uh, to do what I can do for them and try and spend I know I spend more time and (laughs) I'm spending time with and things like that but I'm trying my best and trying my best to give them at least a good family and so I love them and you know they are they are they are coming into my life has changed my life because I feel like I can keep going I feel like you know I was worthwhile and I feel like you know uh, there's a reason I didn't die at that time back then and and you know there was so much more on the other side and so they are, they give me hope and they give me that uh, assurance that, you know, I am something. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing something. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. Um, do you t- um, teach them Japanese uh, or do they learn Swahili or is it a mixture of both at home? Uh, yes, we teach them Swahili. I teach them Japanese and I, I also try to teach them now uh, French, a bit of French and because just because I like French and also I to try to teach them, started teaching them a bit of Korean. Uh, I just try to expose them to uh, as many languages as possible because I think even if you know a few words of Korean, you know, compared to thinking what is these letters that looks like in just circles and you know, and sticks, <laughs> like yeah. <secret> code. <laughs> It might give them a, a, some opening in the future if they want to learn Korean. 
they already know something, so they can relate to it. Or if they meet somebody who is from Korea, at least you can say hi. You can't hold a conversation, but at least you can say hi. And and I think it's just um, you know, it's a good value to to know different languages. I I, I find it fun myself. I want to share that fun and enjoyment with them. I agree. I mean, your your kids already being Japanese and Kenya has already, you know, helped them be be more exposed. But definitely, language is one of the ways to, you know, explore cultures and, you know, get to understand mm-hmm. other ways of life. Understand the, I mean, acknowledge the differences, but hopefully the similarities can bring us all closer together. Now, you and your husband run the Hikari School of Music, and I know it's a Japanese word for, I want to say, is it hope or is it love? I'm not sure. But, um, light, light, light. I knew it was something really positive. Um, can you tell us what this is all about and what was your dream and vision behind it? Um, we started it because my husband ha- had the dream that you know I want to one day own my own music school. And uh, back then we were working in an international school as music teachers, and you know that life of employment was good because it gives you stability. But at the same time, it's like you keep repeating the same cycle of school calendar every day, uh, year in, year out, you write the reports and all that. Uh, definitely it's good, but uh, he had that vision <laughs> to start the school. And for me as a wife, my part was to support him. So um, one time, one time was right, and we decided to leave the employment and, and start give it a try. Uh, we didn't know if it was uh, succeed or not, but uh, we just said, why not try? Because you don't want to die not trying. So um, we named it Hikari because we wanted it to be a light to the community, like something that offers hope and, you know, something that, you know, where you can come and discover also what you have been, what God has restored in you. And so, uh, there's a verse in Matthew where it says, if you have a candle light, you don't put it under the table, you put it on the table so that everybody can see it. So our motto is let your light shine. So um, the idea came because uh, music education, especially where we live in Nakuru, is not yet so much valued. In Nairobi, a lot of people pay. Uh, are happy to pay for music education and they know the value. But in Nakuru, they feel like, uh, what is it for? What are you going to do with that? Uh, you know, it's not going to give you any job and all that. But there's so many uh, kids who are talented. There are so many others who are talented. And that talent goes undiscovered the whole of their life because they're not given the opportunity. And, um, you know, it's not about, it's not about we need to give you a job because learning music or learning language, it's just enriching your life. And you see, it makes you, your life like more beautiful, more enjoyable. And it, it just makes it more full. So we want it to be like the source of hope to the community. And so that's why we named it Hikari. And in the beginning, of course, we were just two of us and we didn't know. But when it started growing, we, our prayer has been that uh, may it never be about money. May we never use it just to, you know, enrich ourselves and going for a holiday and things like that. But, you know, to uh, 
share what we have and enrich our other people's lives. So that's why we started employing other people and we try to pay as the best we can to them and offer sorts of employment to the people uh, because in Kenya also employment for youth is a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same in Nigeria as well. They're underpaid and mm-hmm. undervalued. Wow. Um, I can imagine there have been some adjustments you've had to make. You know, if, if I can imagine doing business in Nigeria, it might be the same as doing business in Kenya. Is There's so many, you know, loophole, like administrative red tapes, so many things you have to do that can be quite frustrating. So wishing the best in, in all of that journey. But I'm curious to know that the question I have for you next is, um, I'm married and sometimes, you know, I go like, oh, thank God we don't work together. You know, when it's just like, when things are like really, really tough, like at least I can go to work and just take my mind off it. But you are married and then you also work with your husband. Now, of course, there's so many advantages to working with your husband. Definitely. But we're not going to talk about that because it will make for a fantastic, you know, sizzling, scintillating conversation here on the podcast. But what are some of the things? How do you make it work? You know, work is work. Work is home. Work is, you know, husband and wife together. How are you doing all of this? Um, uh, actually, it's not easy at all. And it was hard, like, until very recently um but then uh one time we attended after corona actually we attended uh how do you call it it's like a bible study course for christian couples and there was a course for husband and there was a course for wives and my biggest challenge at that time was like mm, i would suggest things to improve hikari or you know do things better you see as a woman you see so many things that can be improved and you see like you know so many things at the same time but for men it's like they are focused and they they you know they don't see so those so many details that's what i come to learn and during that course he came to a point to realize that i have to value my wife's opinion because she's a helper because i was at a point where i was asking myself i'm supposed to help this person but he's not listening to anything what i'm saying so how can i help like, I was so frustrated because I, I could see so many things that can be improved or he shouldn't do. And then he doesn't listen. But anyway, um, I think it's a journey. <laughs> and so, you know, just um, also try to see um, it like positively because you see like every bad thing has also a positive side. Like for me, I can say that he's too lenient maybe with the teacher. He's too soft. You know, he's not telling them off as he should, and I have to tell them off on behalf of him. And I'm the one with the button and things like that. That was the part of the struggle. But also, uh, if you try to look at it from the other side, it's like, you know, he is, you know, he is patient. Uh, I'm not patient at all. <laughs> so, you know, those are values you see. Like in Kenya also, like you can say that they don't keep time. But if you, if you see it from the other way, it's like more relaxed. Nobody is in a hurry. You're not stressed out. So everything is like has a flip side of coin and try to appreciate and also try to, to continue learning, uh, in the Bible or talking to people who are more experienced than you in business or in the Christian journey as a as a you know married couple try to talk to them and get their wisdom because no marriage is problem free and you see 
um, it's a journey <laughs> and it helps you grow because definitely if i'm single i wouldn't be learning i wouldn't be having to learn all these things that i have to learn because of me but thanks to me i have to make the adjustment i am a better person thanks to me he's like a, a mirror <laughs> to show you know where i have to grow still yeah wow i couldn't have answered that any better that was that was really beautiful <laughs> And your husband and you sound like my husband and myself because I am not the patient one. And you're right. Like I think there's a grace God gives us as women to be able to have that. Almost like we can think in the future. We can see things. And we're almost always right. But then we also have to learn the patience to, yes. to deliver our message well in a respectful way and not go, but I told you so, you know, you're working together as a yeah, team. Exactly. And I, yeah, and I think it sounds like you and your husband, I, I can tell that you're a team together and you've understood that like you have to grow in certain areas and he has to grow in certain areas. Is how you can have the other person help you grow in your own area to make for a well-rounded, balanced person. So thanks for that reminder. We're almost done now. I just had like, you know, this final questions for you will be looking back at the ups and downs of your journey um, from Japan to UK to Kenya and then settling there. Who knows where you're going to be next? Do you have any regrets about your decision so far? And I'm assuming probably you don't have any, but what are your, your hopes for the future as well? Um, I don't have regrets. I, I am so happy that I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm so happy that um, I made the decision to marry all the way in Kenya. Of course, it wasn't easy, but um, we found a way and by God's grace, uh, we're still together. And I'm really, really surprised with myself that I'm still married after 10 years. And because I came from a place where, you know, all marriage was failure. So I didn't have any, you know, idea of how a happy marriage looks like. So, uh, I can only attribute it to God because were it not for God, I would be a failure. You know, I would have divorced a long time ago. I would have gone back to Japan. And so, um, everything that I have in my life right now, I owe it to Jesus. And, uh, well, I regret to be, uh, I just wish that I could have a better relationship with my parents. Like, uh, the other day it was Mother's Day and my kids wished me Happy Mother's Day, but I couldn't talk to my mom like Happy Mother's Day. So that's like uh, just a little bit sad, but you know, I came to just think that every life has a challenge. It's not like, you know, I'm the saddest person on the whole planet. Every life comes with a challenge. Some people are born with disability. Some people are born with family problems. Some people are born in the... Some other people are rich, but, you know, A, B, C, D. So just accept uh, the challenges that are given to you. There's no life that is perfect. And so and you have a reason why you are given that family. So I am hopeful for the future that I am going to see how this story is going to up. Like it, I don't think it's just going to be a sad story, you know, a broken family. Uh, I, I'm hoping and believing that one day the rest of my family, everybody will be saved. And I don't know. And I will come to testify maybe. Uh, but some days actually it's, it's really hard because you keep praying every day for them, but you don't see any progress. But the, uh, uh, my hope is that God is a living God. He's not dead. He's not a statue who, you know, can't hear. He is seeing what you are doing right now. He is seeing your pain right now. And 
he is alive today at this very moment he is listening to our conversation and so he's working on your problem yeah so yeah i don't have really regrets in that sense wow um i do hope that you know your family you guys are concerned in a very healthy way and sometimes it's easier to separate and you know save almost like protect yourself but i know your desire is to have that connection back with your family so i pray everything goes well for you as well mm-hmm. and um yeah so finally finally and yes this is the way guys that i mean that's just the simplicity of yuka's story even hearing about the hope she's found in christ he doesn't really promise like a worry-free life like we said but there's a lot of grace because life is so full of so many challenges but I know that as Christians, as Christians, one of the things that comforts us is that everything will work together for our good. Even the bad things will work together for our good. Now, Lam, where can people find you? Where can they find more about your program? I follow you on, on YouTube and you sing so wonderfully well, by the way. I love your voice. I love um, just oh, thank you. the way you guys combine a lot of you know languages and the things you do and just you know the kids you get, you guys involved, get involved together. I know it's more virtually as well. But for those that don't even know about the Hikari School of Music, where can they find you guys on social media? Or even your email address as well. Um, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. You just search Hikari School of Music and it comes. And also, if you want to email us, just write Hikari School of Music without any comma or full stop at gmail.com. Just Hikari School of Music as one word and at gmail.com. And we offer online lessons on all instruments, voice lessons, and we also have language lessons. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yes, guys, go check them out. And this was it. This was really nice talking to you today. Um, wishing you the very best in everything you do. And I have a feeling we're going to talk again, like on the podcast. But I just want to really thank you so much for your time. It was really a huge honor to share your story and also get to know more about your passion not just about um, music, but also about community and your love for family. And so, yeah, on behalf of every one of us here on the show, I want to say thank you. Arigato yukasan. Kamsamida. Kamsamida. All right, guys. Um, bye for now. And don't forget to check other episodes on the podcast and of the podcast, wherever you get your podcast on. This has been the Monsible Podcast and I remain your host, Monsible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Monsible Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomore.mosible.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Morosible Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening.